Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday. That means it's time for another Lifestyle Business Podcast. We believe building a business is the ideal way to create more freedom and opportunity for you, your family, and those around you. Today, I'm joined by the CEO, yeah, my captain, my co-host, a man who dreams of designing the next Furminator. Yes, he's got an odd set of ambitions. If you guys stick around to the end of the episode, we are going to discuss a legit way to change your life. Of course, we're going to talk about email. We're going to talk about the biggest email hack of this new century, Ian. I promise the quick tip section will not disappoint. How are you today? Email is my life. I spent like eight <laughs> hours on it today. Should we be doing that? Should we be spending so much time on email, you think? Like, should we go on an information email diet? I don't Does that know. make sense? I don't know. I, I, li- I like email. Uh, one of the things that, that's changed for me is that my email inbox gets better the, the farther along we get in our business. I really enjoy going into the inbox and sort of seeing what's going on. I don't need to go to the newspaper. I go to my inbox and, and see what's doing. Speaking of which, if there are any developers in the audience, let me put out this idea. I would love if I could go into my Gmail inbox and change the subject lines of the emails to be to-do tasks. Um, so it would replace the subject line with something that's a note to me, but it wouldn't change the subject line of the email, only as a visual reference. And then right. I could drag and drop the email order in terms of priority. So basically, rather than having a layered to-do list, you would turn your inbox into a to-do list. I think this this is a really cool idea. It's definitely an application that I'd be willing to pay for. If there's something That's like that cool. that exists, yeah, it's a cool idea. Obviously, we're not going to be able to do that. Anybody out there wants to do it, boom, we will pimp the shiz out of that stuff. I mean, that would be awesome. That's right. If you want to impress Dan with your new business idea, go ahead and shoot that back to him, and I'm <laughs> sure he will uh, he'll like it. All right, so a couple shouts today. I've been listening a lot to a podcast called The Partially Examined Life Podcast. It's a reason to be inspired by the internet. Uh, they take me back to the glory days of academia for me, uh, hanging out in with professors, reading the greatest books ever written, and you know, basically what the Partially Examined Life does is they do very close academic style reading of you know pillar philosophy texts, and uh, they recently just did an episode on Foucault, and it just it was inspiring. It was amazing to listen to, and if anybody's interested in um you know theories of uh they went over this this fantastic work that really did change my life it's this book called discipline and punish anyway if anybody's at all interested in philosophy you just absolutely have to go to the magic that is partially examined life those guys are wonderful and it is my real quick with those guys i've listened to a couple episodes i can't figure out those guys it seems like they might be professors but it also it seems like they might have jobs too are those guys what what are they doing over there is this just for fun uh, you know, I've I've spoken with uh, Seth, and really smart dude. He's uh, he he was ha- had an entrepreneurial stint. I don't know if I should be saying what the guy does, but he's he's got a very legitimate job. Got it. <laughs> Quite legitimate. 
Um, basically what these guys all did is they kind of did what I did, um, but they got a little bit farther. They went to graduate school for philosophy and sort of saw the prospects for the philosophy job market, which are awful. And there's always this like really sad moment for philosophy undergrads because you yeah, you guys got like two options right become a professor a writer or a drunk so i guess three right? <laughs> i think i've i fulfilled all of them except i've fulfilled two of the three you guys guess which ones <laughs> and i you know there is a sad moment for philosophers where you kind of gotta put the nail in it and say goodbye and that's what they all did and they went to go have real jobs and two and a half years ago they decided why don't we go back to the relive the glory days and talk about these books that we love so much. And they did. And, and they're having, I mean, they're having hundreds of thousands of podcast downloads they are getting featured and, you know, thousands of subscribers and they deserve every subscriber they get, you know, and I hope that they can turn it into something that could be something bigger, like a virtual university or something we could get more involved in because I think alternatives to, you know, the university system are needed. Um, because university is so expensive and um, it doesn't serve, you know, particular niche interests that well. Like if you want to study philosophy, you got to go take, you know, general courses in astronomy and stuff. And maybe you're not learning from the best people. But, um, you know, an online business has the potential to pull together the best people in the world for each topic they address so and and distilling this stuff down so like everybody can enjoy it too is really fun for me absolutely so i do recommend uh the two episodes that i really enjoyed recently were the one on foucault and the one on heidegger uh were absolutely excellent fascinating stuff um one other thing i'd like to say in regards to podcasting and itunes we've got 105 itunes reviews thank you everybody for taking the time to go to that clunky itunes interface and pump ian and i up by giving us five stars. Thanks to Charles Halliday. Um, to we we have so many. Liam Dillon, thank you so much. Um, you know, just I can't even. You know, it's awesome. So I actually met Chris. Chris gave an amazing uh, a review in here. Chris has a great business, uh, a niche content business on the web. Very focused. That's something we're going to talk about here in our meat and potatoes. And thanks to Lark. Lindig saying we are the real deal and willing to show you guys how to become the real deal too. So speaking of the real deal, the meat and potatoes today is 12 things they didn't tell you about business. And here's the thing, especially when you're learning about business on the blogosphere, generally learning about business from a lot of bloggers or um, in financial magazines even, you're learning from journalists or writers. These aren't people who are actually business people. And again, the magic of social media, you can come to schlubs like Ian and I who have uh, the misfortune of having a real business and we can tell you the 12 things that they didn't tell you about business. What do you think we get started, Ian? How about you kick us Let's off? Let's do it. Okay, <laughs> so the first thing they didn't tell you about business is once you're cash flow positive, uh, it's time to take risks in time, not cash risks. Right. So, so let me say that one more time. Take time risks, not cash risks. Right. So one of the biggest problems that entrepreneurs have is they can't get rid of themselves from their business. So they, they, they sort of identify like a sort of group of customers and then they just don't feel that anybody can do it as well as them. And so they sort of hang around. And when they look to grow, what they do is they take cash risks. So they'll do things like 
maybe they'll go out and hire a salesperson. This is like the classic cash risk. Oh yeah. Is you 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 get some, you know, swinging, swaggering sales guy who's like a six-figure sales guy, right? And you're like, "Well, if I pay this guy, he's going to go out and he's going to be able to grow my business and all this stuff." Like I would just like big X over that idea. You're going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. And so so the biggest thing, you know, that I've learned is once you've identified a cash flow and your cash flow positive, you either put a system or a person in place and then you immediately start risking your time. You go out and you start making cold calls on new products. Like you said, Ian, we're getting into uh, the portable bar market and you said, hey, I'm going to get on the phone with caterers. I'm going to get on the phone with, um, you know, wedding planners, whoever might buy one of these things. I'm going to start talking to them. That's a time risk because you could be back serving your clients. Yeah, um, there becomes a point in your business when we say cash flow positive, where where the business is actually running off its own cash, it's actually hopefully making a profit, and you're able to step away. And, and this goes along with up leveling. So one of our top guys, he's getting into a position right now where he's getting ready to hire somebody to basically replace him. Right. Uh, and he's worried about what he's going to be spending his time on, which he should be. But that's a time risk. Right. Absolutely. So, we we could probably talk about this first one. We got twelve. <laughs> this one we could talk about forever. Number two, the first 24 months after your first invoice, not your first blog post, okay? So your business doesn't start when you post a blog post. It starts when you send an invoice. They will be very, very difficult in general. And this goes I, along with the dip. I, I, this is like Seth Godin's concept of the dip, but I want to I wanna commiserate with anybody in this time frame right now. I remember talking to Ian and just kind of being like, we really felt like we would never make it out. Like we kind of looked at each other and we were both like sort of looking at other opportunities and we were sort of, you know, we were selling some product and it was moving and we were managing those sales orders and stuff. But I think we were both kind of like, we had wandering eyes. Like we were looking around thinking, man, are we ever gonna get out of the tunnel on this thing? Is this ever gonna make yeah. us any money at all? And, um, and I don't know, like 24 months in retrospect isn't really a long time. But when you're in that 24 months, you feel the pressure and you feel the heat, you know, to make a living from it and to have more freedom and you just, it can feel burdensome. So if you feel that way right now, I just want to say like that, that's normal. That's how we felt. And that's how a lot of other people feel too. And so, you know, take a jog, take a walk, listen to partially examine life, chill out a little bit and get back on it. <laughs> yeah. I still kind of feel like that. Uh, some days, but it's it's pretty much gone. But uh, in the, in the beginning, I think it's really important that you you slog through it. And one thing, it's like kind of like a, it's like a NASCAR wreck. So you're driving along on the track, and uh, everybody's wrecking in front of you, and the smoke's everywhere, like you see on the movies. And you kind of have to like pick a line, you know, and drive through it. Right. Um, you can't really see through it, but once you get through it, you're hopefully you get through it. You're you're in the clear. I like your metaphor, sir. Number three, entrepreneurs are artists, not money grubbers. Um, maybe a lot of people listening to the show now have bought into this idea. To me, entrepreneurship, um, maybe sort of similar to like being a developer, is like this extremely broad canvas. You can be the ultimate creative. And if I would have seen entrepreneurship like that earlier on in my life, I might have sort of jumped on the entrepreneurship bandwagon a little earlier. And yeah, I wish personal. Sorry. I just wish I would have, you know, I wish I would have. And a lot of times 
I feel like really talented, creative people stay out of making money with their talents and their art and their products because they see it as a negative thing. Like once I charge money for this stuff, it reduces its value and makes turns me into a money grubber, like you said. And so they right. avoid it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, you know my cousin right now. I don't know if she's listening or not, but she's a really talented artist. She's got. Let me cut some- the suspense for you, Ian. She's not listening. Yeah, exactly. That was the joke. Thanks for catching up on that. <laughs> she's she's really talented. And she's got a YouTube video with like a quarter million hits. And uh, you know, when I first started talking to her, she was like very timid about making money off this um, off these projects. And we started talking about it, and it's really a good idea for her because that means that she can continue to make these projects if she starts making money off them. Sure. So I think that she's kind of turned the corner on that, and I don't think she's a money grabber. I don't think she's sold out, but she's figured out if she wants to continue with her art and her ambitions that she's going to have to make money on it. Now, a story about me, I feel like when we first started working on these businesses, we were much more focused, at least um, on the surface, on the money, about the money. Um, and we thought that was really what was gonna, what was gonna change our lives big time. And uh, I think looking back, it was, it was, it's really important. I think I've pulled back a lot on that money. It's not that it's not important, but uh, I think I'm a lot less focused on it, a lot more focused on the process. And I think that's what entrepreneurship is really about, is the process. And we got another point coming up about that one. So let's get moving on to number four. Networking is a multiply, a multiplier. So if you multiply zero by any number, that's a zero. So if you multiply your zero by meeting Donald Trump, you still have zero. <laughs> and I think people really misunderstand the value of networking. And you know, people know, and this is actually, this can extend into the blogosphere too. You can meet a lot of people via your blog, but if you don't have anything going, if you've got nothing doing, that's not going to mean anything for you. Just a bunch of people are going to know who you are. And that's not good enough to getting stuff done. So I think it really matters what you bring to the table when you show up at the table. And that's what networking is all about. And that's why, Ian and I don't, you know, we don't think about networking that much. I mean, obviously, um, in the way that it was always presented to me, you know, in business. Now, of course, it's a major priority, hanging out with like minds and stuff like that. But at least at the beginning, just showing up and meeting a bunch of business guys, you know, that's not going to do you any good if you don't have a business yourself. Yeah. And the way that we kind of frame this up these days is like, what kind of information do we want to learn? And so like, what kind of table do we want to be at? For example, we're starting to get into offshoring and we're starting to get into learning about different corporations in different parts of the world. That's something that we're really um, interested in, in, in building our knowledge base on. And so, you know, networking around those kinds of ideas is really important. But you also have to have something to bring to that table. You have to come with an understanding um, and be able to learn about that. I can give you an example from my life, not to belabor the point, but uh, I've been writing a lot more lately because that's something that I'm really passionate about. And a lot of people in my life had said, you know, Dan, why do you write so much? You know, why don't you make videos? You're really going video. Like everybody, like whenever they read an article of mine, they're like, uh, like it's kind of like euphemistically, hey, Dan, you know, nice try, but like, why don't you make some more video? You know, <laughs> like, so, right. and uh, keep going with the podcast, buddy. Yeah, that kind of thing. And I get that a lot. And, you know, I want to get to the writer's table. Like, I, I, I want to be the guy that the writers invite out because I've done the work. And the only way there, the path there, the sure and tried and true one is by doing the work because everyone at that table did the work too. They didn't get lucky and get invited to a party that another guy was at. And like, that's not how that works. Like, you get to that table by doing the work. And so, yeah, I'm going to do the work. 
and I'm going to end up there. Now, speaking of work that gets you to tables, we were talking about offshore incorporations just as an interesting networking thing that unites um, wealthy people so consistently. It's ridiculous. So if you want to if you enjoy hanging out with wealthy people, if you want to hang out with movers and shakers and stuff, learn about taxation, learn about offshore investments, all that kind of information. Very interesting to the jet set and wealthy, and that will get you to the table. Um, let's talk about number five. You are not that important to your business, or maybe you're not important in the ways that you think. Yes, uh, the CEO, yeah, the man with all the accolades for running and growing a thriving business decided oh, to no. step away late last year. Oh, no. And. I spent the whole year propping him up on the podcast. This guy is so important, you know, if it weren't for him, you know, we'd, we wouldn't have anything. And the moment he walks away, we do 20,000 extra dollars the next month and continue on that way forevermore. So well, I'm, I ask you now, you. what do you offer to the business, sir? Yeah, that just goes to show you how much people like me in the office here in California. <laughs> they're, they're willing to be more productive and like, be like, hey, Ian, look how good and productive we can be when you're away. Right. So therefore, I will stay away more. I get it, guys. Thank you for that. And uh, you won't be seeing me as much this year. <laughs> and again, I, I think this relates very much to our first point, which is I think that's a sign for Ian and myself to start taking more time risks. You know, we have to put ourselves out there to identify new ways forward for the business rather than managing the stuff. Um, that we've already identified. In but all seriousness, if you can step away and and you can run an experiment like that to see what the net effect will be like we did, um, we didn't necessarily do that on purpose just to see what the net effect will be, but we step step back and realize the results. Um, and if you're in a position where you can do that, it's it's um, it's pretty interesting. Even if you force yourself into that position sometimes, you might think that you, you need to be in control of all this stuff, but you really don't. I'm gonna skip three because we have, uh, uh, you know, I want to stick with the really good ones and give them a little bit more time. So let's get to number nine and say, in every arena that counts, try to find the independent value of responsiveness. So um, what I've I, what I've found, Ian, is that this word responsiveness, it 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 sort of stands for things that have a huge impact on your workflow. So let me give you three examples: um, the value of responsiveness in email in quotations to clients and in uh, accounts payable. So these are three examples. Um, now you could sort of try to isolate this variable of responsiveness or R. And one example is like if somebody in our company sends me an email, the chances that I need to reply to that within the first 24 hours or I, that I would feel compelled to do so would be like 80% say. Now if I wait 24 hours, that goes down about 25%. Then if I wait another 48 hours, it goes down another 25%. So I only, it's like I've halved my responsibility to that email by 50% by waiting 48 hours. And that that's gonna be different for everybody's inbox, it's gonna be different for everybody's business, but that will have a profound impact on your workflow um, yeah. and, and how you look at the stuff. Let me give you some other examples. Quotations. I've identified in quite uh, more than one business now that speed to quote has a profound impact on whether or not you win the business or not. So much so that you can inflate your rates just to get that quotation conversation going. If you're the first guy with the quote in there, they'll tell you you're too high and then you're in the game, right? So you can actually build in margin to account for the errors you're gonna make by speed. 
And this can be very useful because you know th that's going to have a half-life too on responsiveness. If you wait 24 hours, there's going to be a percentage that you're going to lose that business. If you wait 48 hours, again, you're going to drop off a percentage. And what I would recommend is that you isolate that variable R and figure out what it is and calculate for it. Um, and, and again, I think there's another very obvious example, which is accounts payable. The longer you let people wait to pay you, there is going to be a half-life that will diminish the chances that they actually ever pay you. Yep. Um, and, and this stuff's important that you equip people, especially the quotes one, especially on the revenue generating stuff. I think that that has had some profound impacts on our business. The other thing that's had a profound impact on our business is being the most responsive company that we deal with. Yes. Uh, we by far, by far, there isn't another company that we deal with that's as responsive as we are, and uh, Ooh, that's a talk lot about of that work. In the quick tips, by the way. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I, you know, I so agree with this. I think if there is one word that, like, you know, everybody says has these like kind of one-word motivational theories, that's it. That's it. If you want to kick ass, responsiveness. Be responsive. <sighs> Number ten, cash behaves like water. That, I mean, there's a reason why people call it liquidity, like cash is liquid. And that's because if you don't create a space for it, an enclosure, like a tub, to stick with the metaphor, it will leak. It will leak out of your organization. Yes. And people are on the wallet model of personal finance, right? You have a wallet that has a hundred bucks in it and it sits in there until you spend it. That's not how money works in a business. It like moves around amongst all the different places and people and products and things. And if you don't define exactly what you're going to make and, and how you're going to make it and where it's going to sit, it'll be gone. It will. Yes. And you don't know. You, you think that you'll know, but you won't. I mean, it's amazing how this works. It's, it's like it'll just pull a Houdini on you. Yeah. And I like to set up rules with the cash too, obviously. But uh, you know, one of the rules that we're actually dealing with this uh, today, so this is pretty relevant. You know, we had a situation um, where we spent a bunch of money where we didn't have to spend money, uh, and it's because we didn't have a rule set up for that. And right. so I think it's really important to set up some rules for your cash. Too. Can you share that situation? I didn't hear about this. What is that? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I mean, one of the things that one of the things that we try and kind of uh, f filter down through our organization is that you're extremely tight with cash and yeah. you have to run the numbers every time you make a purchase. Um, and it's just, it's just part of being frugal. It's a part of being responsible. Um, it's a part of protecting your profits. So basically this is, this might be an interesting case study. I don't know, but um, so we have a product that goes out in a box and basically we have to purchase this box from a local manufacturer. Right, and um, so each of these boxes, as it presently stood, uh, costs like six dollars. And uh, our warehouse guy was having trouble with the boxes; like every other one of them was ripping. Except that it wasn't every other one; it was like th every third. I, I think like every third or fourth box mm -hmm. was ripping. Probably every fourth box. And so what he did was he went out and he bought a box that was like many times more expensive, but it was double walled. So. Theoretically, the box wouldn't rip anymore, right? Right. The problem was that he didn't run the numbers on it and figure out that even though it was a more expensive box, you could have afforded for the cheaper box to rip a few times or, you know, every third time, and it still wouldn't pay for itself. Right. And so um, we, basically, we basically taught him, hey, you know, you're in a position of power. You're making purchasing decisions. You need to be equipped with these tools. 
Um, here's how you run the calculations on that. Boom. Good stuff, Boom. man. I like that. Real applicable stories of Dan and Ian incompetence. I think the audience demands yeah. more of this kind of thing. Um, let's talk about number 11. Your niche isn't a niche. It's a freaking industry. And what I mean by this is uh, I wrote a blog post on Monday, uh, which got a lot of traction. And it was talking about my experience with making money blogging. And I have a basic format, which I invited people to email me and ask me whether their blog ideas or their niche publishing ideas were winners or losers. And I feel I can call this stuff. I'm like the babe, man. I can point to the stands. I know whether you're going to win or not. I can tell. The babe was a drinker, right? I don't know. But okay. he, he had that sixth sense, man. I don't know if Got those it. two things are attached. But here's the thing. Um, the format is this. What problem do you solve? That's one sentence. And then the next sentence is, what is the fresh perspective from which you solve that problem? Okay? So an example would be, I help young professionals work longer hours. Okay? I would help them work harder, get more done at their jobs. And the way I solve that, the unique fresh perspective is that I give them uh, nootropic and uh, diet guidelines. Like I give them sort of paths for them. Like, you know, take two of this pill, take one of this pill and take this pill. That's what You're I You're a drug do. dealer now. I'm a drug dealer. That's what I do. Got it. Of the 25 brilliant, wonderful people that wrote me emails in the next 24 hours, only about three or four of them committed to a concrete problem. Mm. There is this incredible emotional inability for people to commit to something specific. And I don't know where it comes from. I can make a bunch of guesses, but here's, I just want to say this as a blanket thing. If you can get over that and become one of those three or four people who sent me clear winners, I, I just reply, win, you know, done. You're a winner. This is going to happen. Home run. Start trotting. Yeah. And if you can be one of those three or four people who just is willing to say the problem, it was unbelievable to me. Like people just would not say the problem. What is the problem you're solving? What is well this well well what problem are you solving? It's it like you just have to do it. You you have to do it if you want to be a winner. Two two things that come up for this or from this for me. Number one is it's really important to articulate exactly what the heck's going on. I was watching a uh, you say Ramit Sethi is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, it works. Um, for me. Yeah, right. He had a YouTube video and it was about. Um, it was basically about procrastination and he told this story about uh, people when you ask them something specific about what's going on in their life and he says they're, one of their main responses is, well, I just, haven't, I, I just have to figure it out. Right. You know? And I just have to figure it out kind of goes along with like, well, I'm not exactly sure what the problem is. Like, right. If you can't put your finger on it, there's a reason for that. You're procrastinating. You don't know how to define it. Something's wrong. All right, so I'm going to tell you something about you right now, Ian, and it's number uh, 12, our final point. People are going to be annoyed with you. Oh, boy. I have this recollection a lot. It's one of these things, like, a lot of times when you hear about the CEOs of, like, major corporations, like, the CEO of Bank of America, it's possible that in some way he's responsible for a human death in the last year by some policy he enacted or something he did, you know? And it's this concept of... You can't build a road without moving a house. You can't eat meat without killing the cow. You can't say a point of view without miffing somebody who has the alternative point of view. Yes. And I know I get into these conversations sometimes, Ian, where like, I'm, say I'm talking about personal finance and I'm like, if you want to like, you know, maybe just something happens and I think it's my time to talk and I say, you know, if you really want to take control of your finances, you can't do X. 
And if that person has in any way committed emotionally to X, they're thinking that guy's a douchebag, right? Like that's just, yeah. that's it. And they're like, that Andrew's character, he's a douche, man. And that's what they think. And here's the thing. You cannot be a douche if you like don't ever advance anything. And you don't ever try to convince anybody of anything. And you don't have a company that does anything. You're going to be fine. Everybody's going to be like, they're nice. Met that right. guy one time. He's nice. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and I just think, look, here's the thing. You know, people are going to think you're douche. Every time I write a blog post, I know people are pissed. I know people are grizzled. I know people are saying, F that guy. I don't agree with them. You know what? So what? Get used to it because that's what it's going to mean. You can't build a team without firing people, right? Right. You know, you, you, you have to be willing to get into these kinds of situations and get used to them. And if, if you want to stay out of the fire, um, you're just not going to happen. This is, a yeah, game, this, this is a game for people with dirty faces. You have to get in the game if you, and you have to take that attitude, I think, if you want to grow a successful business. You can't sit on the sidelines. The same goes for your products and your articles and your blogs and your podcasts and all that stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I see I, I see a couple of people out there that that get really upset with like the comments and they're you know they don't agree with the comments after they write an article or something like that. You know, it's it's ridiculous. People are going to judge you. You're putting yourself in the spotlight to be judged. And like you said, at least people have an opinion about you. At least they can formulate some ideas. Leave, stay. It doesn't matter. At least they think something. If they don't yeah. think anything, chances are they're not going to give you any money either. <laughs> That's a great point. Let's get moving on to the quick tips, tricks, and funny jokes section. A couple quick things. Number one, Alfred app, as described by a couple of Twitter followers, as the ultimate Mac OS add-on. It's like a quick launch tool, but I also use it as a calculator. So Alfred app, we'll link see to it. Time scroller for Mac and iPhone. Finally, a good macOS dashboard app that you can just pull up and you can instantly see 25 world time zones. You can set it forward and backward. So like if you want to set a median in 12 hours, you, you pull the scroller. You can see where everybody is in the world, what time it is for them. Take a screenshot of that and just email it to everybody. So that's time scroller for Mac and iPhone. And one thing I'm going to sneak in that Ian didn't let me do is that's for macOS. You heard me say that that's for macOS. One of the things they didn't tell you about business is go get a Mac already. I'm just, Mac OS and like Mac hardware is significantly better than PC and Windows right now. And you know, we are people who make our living on, uh, on the computer. And so unless you have a, a, a significant reason, you're neck deep in Excel all day long, or you've got some kind of weird gaming hobby, I would say go get a Mac. Go get a, go get a Mac. Speaking of pissing people off. Do you feel better now? I do feel better. Okay, good. All right. I want to talk about something serious right now. This is serious. We're going to talk about Gmail keyboard shortcuts. And I don't want right. you to turn off the podcast yet. Because every time people have mentioned this to me, people, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this is for developers. This is for lame losers. This is for people who know about computers. No, this is for everybody. Most of us spend the majority of our days in our inboxes, and it's important that we become efficient and it becomes fun. Gmail shortcuts is extremely fun. Let me tell you how it works. When you go into your settings and you enable shortcuts, you're not, this doesn't work like you're hitting Control L and Control O and Control C and Control S and all this kind of stuff. They're one button hotkeys. And the way that it works is you basically turn your Gmail account into like an application. 
And so it becomes this fun musical thing where you're typing the whole way through your inbox and you get much faster. So uh, I got to thank Justin Hayes for this because he really explained it to me in a way that made it feel like I could do it. Like I didn't... Justin- Justin knows more about hair hair care and skin care and I guess Gmail shortcuts and I it's just a weird it's a weird combination but thank you Justin Justin Hayes DC here and inspiration to all so okay, hold so, on just a second here so you're now, what are you going about- crazy for in in the, in the in the podcast document here I see pink highlights going all over the crease this is what are you doing in there what's going okay, on I'm trying to I, what I'm trying to do here is show you that I don't know how to use the shortcuts obviously <laughs> so. I've resisted the shortcuts. I just learned about it the other day, and I thought to myself, I've got five programs in my head right now that I use shortcuts for. How am I ever going to learn a new one? So what are the basics real quick that I need to know for Gmail? All right. These four commands will get you off and rolling, and then everything else will just fall like a deck of cards. I learned this in less than 10 minutes. I promise you. It it will take less than 10 minutes. Turn on the settings. Turn on Gmail shortcuts. Your, Your inbox will change slightly in that you'll have a little cursor next to one of your messages when you open up um, your inbox going forward. And the way that you move that cursor, and this is the most two important keys, are J and K. So J and K are going to move you up and down your inbox. So when you wake up in the morning and you say you've got 40 emails in there, you start J and K and and you start highlighting stuff. You highlight by X. So the first move might be in the morning to go X out everything that you want to archive. JK, your way through your inbox, you're flying through your highlighting stuff, and then you hit E. That's archive. Now say you're sitting your cursor next to one of the emails from Ian, and I want to read that. O, that opens it. Then if I want to reply to Ian, R, and I start typing my reply, tab send, send. If I want to reply to all, A. If I want to forward, F. If I want to go back to my inbox, U. Okay, so these things just start to cascade and you start to learn them. They become very intuitive. And all of a sudden, you are busting through your inbox so fast and it's fun because you're not like stepping, you're not clicking. I just wish people would have described it to me just a little bit better. I would have got on the bandwagon faster. It's serious fun. It's serious productivity. And again, we're spending tons of time in this inbox. I think optimizing your usage in under 10 minutes. It only takes 10 minutes. Just remember, JK. That's all you need to know. That'll get you started. JK, start selecting those messages by X. And of course, if you want to open something, if I'm emailing you or Ian's emailing you, just hit O. Hit O reply. O-R reply. We'll start talking like that now. Anyway, Ian, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It is always a pleasure. We will have the notes to this episode at Lifestyle Business Podcast episode, whatever episode it is. And we will see you guys again next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to go start working those shortcuts. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.